You're listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with Molly Watts, episode 30. Hi, I'm Molly. After a lifetime living under the influence of family alcohol abuse, spending more than 30 years worrying about alcohol and my own drinking, believing I had an unbreakable daily drinking habit, I changed my relationship with alcohol forever. If you want to change your drinking habits, then Breaking the Bottle Legacy is for you. My goal is to help you create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, past, present, and future. Each week, I'll focus on real science and using your own brain to change your relationship with alcohol. Nothing has gone wrong. You're not broken. You're not sick. It's not your genes. And creating peace is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from an absolutely glorious morning here in Oregon. Are you tired of hearing me talk about Oregon in the summertime yet? I hope not. I have a few more months, a couple more months at least, I hope, and I would love for you to come experience it too. If you haven't been to the Pacific Northwest, this is the time to do it. I say it all the time. (laughs) All right. Today on the podcast, I am speaking to Janet Gorond, and Janet and I are going to be talking about alcohol and aging. Janet is really an inspiration in this area because Janet drank until she was 63 years old, and then she decided to become completely sober and alcohol-free, and she has been so for six years. Afterwards, she started her own um workshops and group called Tribe Sober, and she is doing just wonderful work with folks. But I really wanted to have her on the show to talk about how alcohol and aging don't really go together, and how she has found this journey and why she is so passionate about sharing it with other folks, and especially folks who, like herself, have been drinking for decades and are older and may not believe that they can change. Hear it from me now. You are never too old. It's never too late. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Janet Garand. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for joining me. I was going to say this morning, but I think it's technically this afternoon for you. So whichever time zone you're in, folks, thank you, Janet Gorin, for joining me on the podcast to talk today about alcohol and aging. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Molly, and thank you for inviting me. Are you okay with being an aging expert here on this? You know, (laughs) is that something you're going to claim for for the world? (laughs) Well, I certainly can't claim to have um, ditched the booze when I was young, so <laughs> I ditched it later in life. So I'm a very good example, actually. Yeah. So tell I, me- uh, I ditched the booze at the age of 63, and I'm now six years sober. So you can do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So so for those folks that don't know about you, I've given a brief introduction in, in terms of Tribe Sober and the work that you're doing, um, but I didn't talk much about your backstory. So tell me how you got to, at 63, a point where you felt <laughs> like, okay, you know, I've this has gone on long enough, I need to change my habits. 
Yeah, yeah. Finally, I always say better late than never. <laughs> of course, better late. And 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 there you have it, folks. One thing I always say to everybody, and I want everyone to hear, you're never too old. It's never too late. You you can always make you know better change better choices. All right, go. <laughs> it's the best thing I ever did. But yeah, I we held workshops regularly. So I always share my story at the beginning of the workshop. So as I'm quite old now, the story is long, but I've uh, <laughs> I've what I do is I highlight it into three wake-up calls, as I call it. And I ignored the first two. And finally, wake-up wake call number three, I listened. So the first wake-up call came at the age of 25 when uh, I woke up in hospital one morning. And I had no idea why I was in hospital, what had happened, where I was. But eventually, thanks to my flatmates explaining to me, what had transpired is I'd been sitting around with my flatmates. I shared a flat in London in my 20s. And, you know, we worked hard, play hard, nothing hectic. But I'd been sitting, drinking for hours. And then I'd announced that I was going to have a bath. So I trotted off to the bathroom, locked the door, and then got in my bath. But I was completely blackouts at this stage. So I can't remember any of this. So one of my flatmates, uh, fortunately for me, decided that she'd check on me before she went to bed. So she hammered on the door, you know, are you okay in there and didn't hear anything. And then she panicked, you know, so the other flatmates were hammering at the door, still no response. So they called 999 <laughs> emergency in UK. And the fire brigade came, they knocked the door down and they rushed me off to hospital and I was lying there under the water you know oh another another 20 minutes or so and that would have been the end of me so that was crazy but instead of thinking right that was that was not right you know I've got to do something here I've got to get some help some advice we just all turned it into a story you know it was just right. oh, did you hear about Janet in her <laughs> bath you know what an idiot and everyone was laughing and it was. It became a bit of a legend, and um, I, I just didn't make any changes, and I carried on. I mean, that that wasn't my uh, <laughs> my regular evening, and by any means, but I I was drinking pretty much um, daily, but certainly not you know going over the top or passing out or anything. So that was my twenties. When I was thirty, I got married to someone else who loved to drink. There's a surprise. So we had, you know, both had good corporate do jobs, working hard, playing hard, always, you know, a bottle of wine with dinner, maybe a shot of Jack Daniels when we got home, more at the weekends. We'd have dinner parties that went on till three o'clock in the morning. But, you know, we, we just thought we were having fun and doing what everybody else did. And sure enough, all of our friends drank like us. Right. It was very normalized. So... Um, yeah, that was really my 30s. I did have my son uh, when I was early 30s, but I managed to stop drinking for nine months, but it was hard, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't wait to celebrate the baby's birth. And there I was off again, you know, I never <laughs> thought about giving up permanently. It never occurred to me. So I got divorced in my 40s and remarried. And that's when trouble started <laughs> because I married uh, a French man. And the French tend to have different attitudes towards alcohol. I mean, we're, we're kind of renowned for binge drinking in the UK. And, you know, we go out almost with that intention, you know, to have a bit too much. Whereas that doesn't really happen in France. And he was 
one of these annoying people that can very much moderate, you know, he, he has a glass of wine and then he goes away and does something else, you know, and I'm like, there's still wine in the bottle, you know, why, why aren't we finishing this? So it became apparent um, that I I was drinking more than, you know, he found acceptable. He, uh, he, he kind of nagged me for a while, but I'm a bit of a rebel, so... I just got more stubborn and said, well, this is who I am. You know, when I, I like, I work hard, but when I let my hair down, I like to drink and, you know, that's what I've always done. But um, there were a couple of, you know, blackouts and then he, he got more and more annoyed and the ultimatum started coming. So I decided that because I wanted to stay with him, I would try and moderate. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't couldn't possibly give up alcohol. Good grief. You know, what would life be like without wine? I was thinking I just could not imagine it. So I thought, right, I'm a strong person. I always, you know, get what. Uh, what I want, I achieve what I need to. So I can do this, I can control it. So I looked up the low risk limits and I was horrified to see there were just a bottle and a half of wine a week. And that was my normal evening consumption. So I thought, wow, big changes needed here. But I had a little notebook and I would try and I would log all my units and I could probably manage for two weeks, even three once, but then the wheels would come off and I'd, I'd just drink until I, I blacked out. So that was a miserable time. And I call it the moderation trap now that I can look back with some perspective. And I realized that, um, you know, it was, I was just trapped in this cycle and it went on and on. And every time I failed, my self-esteem was on the floor and I thought, oh, this is dreadful. But, it, you know, I carried on trying. And then I had wake up call number two, which was breast cancer. And I'm quite convinced now that my decades of heavy drinking had a link there mm -hmm. to breast cancer. But at the time, you know, complete denial. And uh, it was a tough year for me. I had mastectomy and chemotherapy, but never thought about giving up drinking. I did ask the oncologist towards the end of my treatments, um, do you recommend, you know, that I eat certain food? Shall I eat organic? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? Because I'll do anything. I don't want to go through this again. Shall I give up alcohol? <laughs> I remember asking him. And he said, no, no. He said, you go off and enjoy your life. You know, you've got through this and now you can, you must enjoy and treasure the time that you've got. Interesting. So, <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I carried on <laughs> enjoying myself. And then finally, in my 60s, I was 63, I had the final wake-up call. I was away um, staying in a beautiful house with uh, about 10 other people just for a weekend. And you know, they were mostly heavy drinkers. And it was the kind of weekend where you have bubbly at breakfast and carry on, really. So Saturday, we went through Saturday. Sunday morning, we were all having breakfast outside. And I said in this, I, I felt dreadful, you know, had a dreadful hangover, but of course wouldn't admit it. And then I said to the guys, oh, you know, why don't we walk to such and such a village and have a look at this house that I've heard about? Because maybe we can rent that one next time. And they all looked at me and they said, Janet, we did that yesterday and you were with us and you were walking okay, you were talking okay. And that just scared me to death because I thought, 
wow, you know, I knew I was damaging my body, but I didn't realize I was damaging my brain as well. I'd lost an entire day, more right. or less, I had no, right. no memory. So, so that was it, really. So I woke up the next day and I said to my long suffering husband, I said, that's it, I'm done with alcohol, I can't do this anymore. And he said, okay, you know, he didn't say, oh, I've heard that before, because he hadn't, I'd always said, I'm going to cut down, I'm going right. to cut down. So uh, obviously, then I had to find how to do it. So I trotted off to AA, and I didn't like that. So eventually, I found a workshop in London, just a one day workshop. And that worked for me, not so much the workshop, but because the people I met there, I felt like I'd found my people, you know, they mm -hmm. were women with good jobs, nice families, drinking a bottle of wine a night, and they knew it wasn't sustainable as they got older. So um, I kept in touch with these people and uh, got sober, came back to South Africa and thought, well, I've got 25 years experience in training and development, so why don't I set up my own workshop? Yeah. And that's how Tribe Sober was born <laughs> five wow. years ago. That is just an epic story. I can't believe <laughs> that that story about your 20s. That's um, really scary. Yeah, oh. that's amazing. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I want everyone to hear all of this because it's, it's so, it's, it's important and it's really important to have the conversation. And Janet, you and I've talked offline and a few times about this, this whole idea of, you know, that I am not totally 100% sober. I don't know that moderation is what, and I, I talk about being an alcohol minimalist and you mentioned the low risk guidelines and they're different in every country here in the US um, for most for women. And what's interesting about it is that they specify in these low risk drinking limits here in the US, 65 and under. Okay, so let's think about that. It's specific age specific as well. So it means that and the reason they do that is because as you get older, the way that you metabolize alcohol changes. But before we get to that, what I want to talk about, though, what I want to say about the low risk limits is you and I both agree that if people cannot stick to low risk limits, if they find that challenging, if they cannot do it, then alcohol free abstinence sobriety is definitely the best choice. Yeah, and don't waste a decade like I did. Yeah. <laughs> or, a, or a couple. <laughs> just come, come to terms with it after maybe a year, but if you just can't do it, then... And what I wish I'd known then, um, which I know now, obviously, is it's so much easier for some of us just to ditch the stuff, you know, get it out of your life. And then you do have to then reconfigure your life and, and do other stuff that you didn't used to do when you were drinking. Right. And, you know, create a life you don't want to escape from, we always say. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the key differentiator. I think that that's the big difference for me. The reason that I feel that, that I am able to stick to those low, low risk limits is because I have shifted my how I use alcohol. I no longer reach for alcohol as a coping strategy to try to change how I'm feeling. I'm very, very cognizant of that. And for decades, even if I wasn't drinking a full bottle of wine or a bottle of wine, I mean, I was drinking plenty, folks. I was drinking well, well beyond the low risk limits and what would be defined as heavy, heavy alcohol use here in the, in the US. It's 
where it gets tricky for me or where I think people uh, for why I have always um, it's different is I never drank to black to get to to be to blackout stage. I was never a binge drinker, really. I was a long standing habit drinker and I drank far beyond the limits on an on a daily basis. And so it's different for for those of you that are still that are binging alcohol, I recognize that there is a different use there and you really have to become cognizant of that. And I do think that that is for many people that are binge drinking that potentially sobriety or alcohol free living abstinence is potentially an easier and, and just more fulfilling choice. 100%. Yeah. Because it's so easy for us people that we've once we've crossed a, a line really that there's no going back because maybe we can moderate as you heard me saying for two three weeks but but it's not sustainable it creeps up and it creeps up and we end up back to square one yeah you know i say it on the podcast the safest level of drinking is zero folks <laughs> zero and i yeah. say i'm an alcohol minimalist because i don't want anybody to get the idea that that moderation is an ex is a permission slip for binging because that's not the case you can't like be abstinent five days a week and you know drink seven drinks <laughs> in one evening and call yourself a moderate drinker that's not the way it works you know so it's uh it's interesting all right so let's talk about aging because like i said you have an unusual story there's not a lot of uh people who you know later in life believe that they can take hold and change one of these really decades long habits. And quite honestly, I mean, I'm in my fifties. So that wasn't, I mean, it's still for me, it was an ingrained 30 plus year habit took a lot of time for me to change. I wasn't that because I took it slower than you did. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a wake up moment per se. I didn't have one of those hit me over the head kind of, and I didn't have any, like I said, no blackouts, but bottom line is you did change this habit and you did conquer it and you did it because also you mentioned the breast cancer scare we know that as we age things start to shift in our bodies i mean it's just a fact of <laughs> of life right and alcohol can and the way that we metabolize alcohol as we get older changes as well our immune system gets weaker naturally as we get older and alcohol damages our immune system. So it's it's a double whammy. And I think they now link alcohol with seven different types of cancer and 60 diseases. <laughs> it's hectic. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the statistic here in the U.S. is that by the age of 65, um, 80% of all adults, and I don't know how this is on an international basis, but I got to believe that it's probably pretty consistent across the globe. In the US, I believe it's 80% of all six people 65 and older have at least one chronic disease state. And it's a pretty high percentage that have at least two as well. And so, and the number one chronic disease state for people 65 and older is hypertension, high blood pressure. And if you don't know this, folks, alcohol raises your blood pressure almost immediately upon drinking it. So there are science-based, very much applicable for people as they age reasons to shift your drinking habits. 
period. I was going to say, Molly, I just think it's one of the best things that we can do for ourselves as we get older. I mean, I was, um, I wish that I'd done it younger, but I think, you know, as as we get into our 40s, because most people, people in our community, they all have similar stories. And mine was also like this, apart from my my bath escapade. Basically, I, I used alcohol to socialize in my 20s, my 30s. But then by 40s and 50s, it was more self-medicating and, mm. you know, using it to manage my stress, using it to relax. So I think when you when you get to that stage, it makes a lot of sense to to try and make a, make a change because the, the health benefits are are huge, and it means that the second part of your life will look very different for many people. I think if I'd kept drinking at, at the rate I was drinking for the last six years, you know, I'm not sure I'd be standing here talking to you now, because there, there are many risks as we get older. In your group, are you talking with other women that are of a particular age? So are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, what stories do you hear from them in terms of what do you think makes it the most challenging for people that are older to make these changes? Is it just, is it mindset? Is it all like they're just, they're just, they think this is who they are and they just can't, they can't change that? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned yourself, didn't you, Molly, that if we've been doing this for decades, it's almost part of our identity. And all of our friends tend to be drinkers as well. And all of the things we like doing tend to be alcohol related or, or the social events. So it is difficult to make a change. And it's it's particularly difficult to make a change on your own, I think. Because again, that's why I was trapped for years, because I had a lot of pride and I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. So um, because I knew that if I if I came out and said, oh, I'm I'm stopping drinking, everyone would say, oh, are you an alcoholic? And I didn't want that label. You know, that's why I didn't like like AA. So, um, yeah, I think so many of us try to make that change alone. And that's what we find in our community. And and when people join us, they say things like, oh, I'm so relieved, you know, that I'm not the only person that is like this. Because if you are surrounded by people like my husband, you know, who can have one glass of wine and forget about it, then you start to think, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do that? And then you really try and then you can't. So I think accepting that you've got a problem and then reaching out for some help is is absolutely the biggest step. And, you know, I always say to that to people when they come to workshop, it's, um, you know, 70% of success is showing up and you've shown up, you know, you've admitted that there's a problem, you've reached out for some help and then you've, you've taken up that help. So that is by far the biggest step. And after that, it's, practical things it's more more about strategies and then it's about sticking with it until the benefits come in because when when I gave up I was desperate to I knew I had to do this if I wanted to survive but I wasn't expecting it to be um a good life you know I thought oh well I've had lots of (laughs) fun in my life you thought it was going to be miserable and you'll just suffer through (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I thought sobriety is a dark and miserable place and everything will be grey. And I really bought into that nonsense. 
And it, it took me, you know, a good six months to a year to start realizing how much better I felt. You know, my mind cleared and I, I got my energy back. I got my creativity back. I started feeling a sense of purpose again as, as I was helping other people to ditch the drink. So I've one of my favorite books is called The uh, Surprising Joy of Being Sober. Yeah, I don't know if you I know like that, that one, yeah, Catherine yeah, Gray. Yeah. Just that title sums up my, my journey. I love that title because yeah. it was a huge surprise and many people are like that. And that's why they resist the thought of getting sober because they think it's going to be dreadful. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, you know, like I've said, I'm, I, I think it, uh, it applies whether or not you're completely sober or you're just trying to change your relationship with alcohol and, and cut back on what you're doing and, and really move alcohol into a different place in your life. For me, letting go of all the anxiety and the worry, I grew up with an alcoholic parent and I had, I mean, she, she was an alcoholic through all of my life. So my habit fed this uh, constant, endless you know, just relentless worry and anxiety in my life. And I was really kind of unaware how much of my time I spent in worry and in anxiety. And I was also feeding it, of course, with alcohol, which I've talked about before in one of the other alcohol and co uh, uh, interviews, folks, or not interviews, one of the other alcohol and podcasts, alcohol and anxiety, you can go back and listen to it. But the whole idea of being able to be free from that worry for me, was the biggest change, you know, and I definitely, I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much that was, how much that was going to be available to me. I, I, like you, I really told myself that not having my nightly drinks was going to be absolutely miserable. You know, I, I just really convinced myself, not only was it going to be miserable, but it was going to be really, really hard you know, really going to be really, really hard to do. And while it took some time, it did, it, it took time. It isn't nearly, once you get there, it's not nearly as hard as I, as I, you know, convinced myself for decades that it would be. Yeah. I mean, it's the limiting beliefs, isn't it? That, that yeah. trap us. And that's why your Annie Grace is so, so wonderful. I'm a great fan of hers, Yeah, you know, because um, we all, we, we have this voice in our head. I mean, I had it for 20 years, I think. And it says, uh, you've got to do something about your drinking, you're drinking too much. And then we have all these other voices that spring up from our subconscious that say, but how will I have fun? I'm going to lose all my friends. How will I relax? So we have to acknowledge those voices in the subconscious and work on turning them around. And I always give the example of my socializing thing because I uh, was convinced I would never be able to socialize without alcohol uh -huh. but I knew that I couldn't be a recluse so right. I I just forced myself out you know time after time and I hated every minute of it mostly but I would see every outing as a challenge I would come home I'd write it up in my journal another tick in the box and I, I did that for months and then eventually I still remember the moment coming home from something and I thought, oh, what a nice evening, you know, and I'm going to meet that one next week and I must read that book. <laughs> and then I realized that I hadn't been drinking and I'd had a nice evening. Yeah. So it was like my subconscious suddenly realized, oh, it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got easier. You know, it wasn't yeah. great every time, but uh, it definitely got easier. So 
the way that you deal with those limiting beliefs is by proving, I think, to your subconscious that they're they're just a pile of rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. No matter how old you are, <laughs> and I, we said it at the beginning, let's just continue to say it. It doesn't matter how long you've held on to those limiting beliefs. You can change them. It takes mindful intention and it takes recognizing them, recognizing, uncovering the stories that we've, we've told ourselves for so long, or we've heard from society or, you know, and Annie Grace talks about that too, these challenges and I, to our own awareness, there are challenges to our own power, but we've, we've got the right, we've got the, the power within our own brains to rewrite those stories. And, and that's what's been so incredible for me in terms of how I've reframed alcohol in my life. It's also been cathartic because I've reframed how the stories that I had regarding my mother and her own abuse. And I think you, you mentioned not wanting to have that label of alcoholic on you. Um, and that to me is one of the, one of the problems that we have in terms of addressing people with alcohol use disorder. We don't use the, you know, the terminology alcoholic around, we're not, you know, that's, that's not politically correct anymore, but regardless, no matter what we call it, when we don't allow people to not be broken, to not be sick, to not be diseased, to not have strength because they are drinking more than they want to, we have to be able to say, okay, this is just something that I've been, in my opinion, we just have, this is something that's been going on. I need to change it. I have the power to change it. And it doesn't mean anything more than that. You know, it's just as, it's, it's just as simple as that. There's, doesn't need to be a morality around alcohol. And, and I, I find that to be the case. Yeah. And you know, Molly, what's going to shift things for a lot of people. Uh, I feel very hopeful about this, this label, uh, because, you know, the spectrum, how at one end we've got the um, the non-drinker and at the other yes. end, the alcoholic, you know, who's the right. old man in the park. And we think, well, that's not me, so I'm fine. But now with the sober curious movement, I think it's going to be so much easier for people to say, well, uh, I'm not drinking because I'm sober curious. I, I want to yeah. have a break for a while and see how, how I feel. You know, what does my life look like without alcohol? Yeah. And I think that that could really create a change for a lot of people. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's not scary to come out and say, I'm sober curious. Yeah. No. And I think it's um, even if it's, you know, I, I'm I'm. I love alcohol-free days, alcohol-free living, and I incorporate a 30-day alcohol-free month into my year. I think that's important because it does allow us that opportunity to, to really question our own ideas, values, how we're, how we're incorporating alcohol into our lives. And it's all about, for me, it's all about keeping alcohol in a, you know, it being mindful, being intentional, and understanding my relationship with it. So regardless, and again, folks, whether you choose to be completely alcohol-free, completely sober, or in my, like I said, an alcohol minimalist, there's, that's, that's the way you need to, the best ways that you can incorporate or have a peaceful relationship with alcohol, at least in my opinion. Okay. So Janet, before we go, I just want to touch base on one study that I read that I, that I think and it, it's 
it's always the same. There's a lot of mixed news about alcohol. We get different impressions, right? We hear, oh, red wine's good for our heart. And there's been some, there's been associative studies about alcohol and how it's, and, and actually like reducing dementia, right? In older people. And I think people hold on to these ideas with associative studies as like, oh, see, I'm doing something good for me, (laughs) which is so dangerous because the bottom line is at least everything that I have understood about all studies regarding alcohol is in, at least in humans, is that it, they're all associative, right? Because we can't rule out everybody has to eat, everybody has to sleep, everybody has to do these other parts of their lives, right? So they can't just give people alcohol and nothing else. So there's never any way that they can define exactly what has happened that is causing whatever result they get in a study. So when they say that that they what they do is they take this this study and they look at these people and they look at their lives and they have them tell them what they've done and then they say oh okay well they they have a lower rate of dementia and they drank <laughs> but it's not like one causes the other right yeah i think the red wine study is absolutely classic i remember when i was drinking i, I seized on that one oh yeah. red wine's good <laughs> right. for, i think i might even have switched from white wine to red <laughs> wine at the time but i must look after my health <laughs> and uh, and i since i've been sober and doing this I, I investigated that particular study a little bit and it was a tiny study and it the women it was just women in the study they were all between 55 and 60 so it was a very kind of small and distinctive cohort and i think they had three really small glasses of wine a week Mm -hmm. and yeah they did manage to detect a, a little improvement in the heart health but i mean that was a small group of people and tiny glasses of wine but People like me, you know, they immediately went out and bought bottles of red wine and thought, well, it's fine. So they're so misleading and so dangerous. But of course, you know, the the media, their hands are tied because a lot of them are um, advertising um, liquor, you know. I was talking... Yeah, so they can't be too controversial. It's just like cigarettes used to be. Mm-hmm. It was only when cigarette advertising was banned that the media started saying, well, actually, cigarettes give you lung cancer. <laughs> and then we went, what? <laughs> Why did nobody tell me this before? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very um, dubious about these studies now. And I think they, they do a lot of damage. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. Well, I agree with you completely. You know, I say this on the podcast, folks, there is absolutely no benefit to adding alcohol to your life. That's not a, you know, no one should be prescribing that. It's all about um, harm reduction, minimizing your, the negative impact. I, for one, still enjoy a glass of, I am, I guess I'm one of those annoying people, Janet. I can take take a glass of wine and not have another one, but that is definitely the, the goal here. You have to reframe your thinking about alcohol, no matter how old you are. And especially if you are in your later years, fifties, sixties, seventies, this is an opportunity to change how you are really going to live the rest of your life. 
because yeah. it is just simply that important. It can help you live longer. It can help you live better and, uh, you know, be like Janet, right? <laughs> finally she got it but the yeah life expectancy for women these days you know if we're fortunate is about 86 well i don't want to you know be in my 80s and feel absolutely dreadful because i've got so many ailments you know i think we need to to live uh, longer but healthier yeah you know, right until the end and then just have a short sharp illness and and that's it yeah. <laughs> but not not to suffer because I think we're laying the groundwork for suffering if we drink excessively oh, every sure. day. It's yeah, just there's, obvious. Yeah, it is. And um, and it's possible, folks. So, well, Janet, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today to be on this show. I appreciate all the work you're doing for women oh, and you. men around the world and helping people to find a tribe and to join and all of the links will be in the show notes, folks, on how to reach Janet. But Janet, give a shout. Tell me right now how people can connect with you best. Tribesober.com. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> That's all. It's all there. And the podcast is called that as well. Yep. So we Tribe kept it Sober. simple. Yep. I love it. And for those of you that are really trying to explore, if being a completely abstinent and having a tribe, you know, having the, the sober experience is what you're really needing. I really love all of Janet's work and I think you will really enjoy it. And it's a wonderful international crowd, right? So all of us over here in the U.S., despite the time change, folks, you can get on and hear all of her good podcasts and you have good Facebook group lives and things like that that work for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we've changed the, we have a Zoom cafe on Saturday afternoons and we, we've moved the timing because our American friends wanted to come. So they kept saying, I'm, I'm not getting up at four o'clock in the morning anymore. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Janet, I appreciate it. I love having chats with you. And so thank you just so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Molly. I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Take something that you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. You have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.